0: Good morning, New Life. Welcome, welcome. Glad to see you here uh, this morning. Kind of hard to believe that when we gather again next Sunday, we're going to be in the month of March. And so spring is literally just kind of right around the corner. I feel like this last week has been kind of a a teaser, a preview of, of what is to come, which, of course, probably just means that we're about to get slammed with an Arctic you know, three foot of snow at some point in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so I'm expecting one more round of misery, uh, but we are getting close uh, to that warm, beautiful weather that we love here in the mountains. Uh, really quickly before we get cranked up in our message time, uh, just wanted to remind you that uh, we're gonna have a Seder mill here at the church in two weeks. Actually, I think two weeks from yesterday, March 10th. It's a Saturday evening, 5.30. Cost of that is 10 bucks. We don't make a dime off that just goes to cover the cost of the food. Let me just encourage you, if you've never been to a Seder mill, uh, or if you're like me and you went to one years ago, uh, let me just encourage you to sign up for that. Uh, For me, when I went to one several years ago, it was really transformative in the sense that it helped me to understand in a better, more clear way how the Old Testament connects to the New Testament. And it really is kind of a revelation when you begin to realize that the Bible is not 66 disjointed books. It's one, it's one narrative of redemption. It's one story. And uh, so as you begin to see Jesus, really all throughout the pages of the Old Testament, it really helps you grow and mature as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so today's the last day that you can sign up for it. And so let me just encourage you on your way out, stop at the Next Steps booth, Go ahead and register for that Seder meal in 13 days. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good time together uh, as a a family of faith. And kind of right along with that, Janet Feinberg, who is kind of hosting that event for us, she needs some folks to help her set up for that meal and to even kind of host some of the tables. And so if you're going to be at the Seder meal and you wouldn't mind helping out just a little bit, Um, I'm sure that you would become Janet's uh, best friend if you would help her out. And so uh, you can sign up, ask her for details about how you can volunteer for that event as well at the Next Steps booth on your way out. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, make your way over to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, that's where we'll be camped out uh, together uh, this morning. We are now in week two of our Jonah series. And so if you missed last week, let me just give you the cliff notes to kind of catch you up on where we're at. Uh, Jonah is a prophet of God uh, in Israel. Uh, Jonah is sort of a big deal in his culture. Um, he would have been very famous, a prominent figure in his society. Jonah wasn't just any old prophet in Israel back in the day. He was one of the primary prophets, uh, potentially even one of uh, maybe the primary prophet in Israel. And so God calls Jonah to go to these incredibly, I mean, just unimaginably violent and evil people called the Ninevites. And Jonah hears God, and Jonah says, uh, Hey, God, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, I'm good. I have no interest in going to these uh, wicked Ninevites. And so uh, Jonah goes on the run. And uh, so he actually gets on a ship, headed to a city called Tarshish, literally in uh, uh, the opposite direction, about 3,000 miles away from uh, Nineveh. And so consequently, God sends this, he sends this epic storm to get Jonah's attention. And yet, Jonah refuses, even in the middle of that storm that's about to take his life, Jonah refuses to repent and turn back to God. And so, the sailors who are with him on this boat, they eventually, in order to save their own skin, they grab Jonah up and they throw him into the Mediterranean Sea. And miraculously, right as Jonah hits the water, the storm instantaneously dies, and we left off last week with Jonah just sort of floating in this uh, calm sea, probably feeling pretty good about himself, to be honest. He was probably feeling pretty good about his situation, because in his mind, he's thinking, man, I have, I have survived God's merciful uh, wrath in the storm, and I still don't even have to go to Nineveh, which is what I don't want to do. So he's probably feeling really good floating in that calm Mediterranean Sea, and so he thinks he's past uh, the worst of it, and we're about to find out if he is or not. Um, That's where we'll pick up in the narrative of Jonah uh, this morning. And here's what uh, what we're going to see, and I don't want you to miss this because I think it might be easy to miss if we weren't really looking for it, but we're going to see this morning what happens when the gospel, when God's grace really begins to sink into someone's life. Because, listen, you understand, Jonah was a really, really religious dude, wasn't he? I mean, he he was in the temple every Sabbath day. He would have had entire books of the Old Testament committed to memory. This guy was a religious guy by anybody's standards. But we've got to understand, look, religion will not save you in the storms of life. Religion will not save you in your storms of life. Religion will actually help drown you. In your storms of life, but it certainly won't save you. And so that's what we're going to kind of pick up right there in the narrative. Uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. I think that last verse actually goes better with um, chapter 2, but nobody asked me. So we're going to start chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish. You'll notice that nowhere does it say a whale. So for some reason, we kind of equate this great fish to a whale. Maybe it was some sort of whale. Uh, Quite honestly, could have been uh, some sort of fish that is now extinct. Uh, We really don't don't know. And so the Bible doesn't give us that detail, uh, probably because it doesn't really matter. The fish isn't the the point of, of the book. So God sends a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And so the storm doesn't get Jonah's attention. And so now God is sending a great fish his way. Jonah is still Running from God and in God's mercy to Jonah, he sends a great fish. Now, this great fish, whatever it was, comes up from the bottom of the ocean and it just swallows Jonah. And he's in the belly of that great fish, the text tells us, for three days and three nights. Now, that's a bad day, isn't it? That is a really bad day. (laughs) You just survived the most terrifying storm on the open sea just when you think that you're in the clear. This massive sea monster comes up and gulps you down. So you think you're having a bad day. You think you're having a bad week. Jonah was having a bad day. Jonah was having a really bad week. So he's, he's on the run from God. God sends this massive fish so that Jonah could run no further. And now Jonah really has to look at his own sin and his own idolatry right in the face and deal with it. And I would just, just kind of like suspect in a, in a room this size, there are probably some of you who are in the same exact place in your lives that Jonah was all those years ago. Maybe you're at a place in your life where you're running from God. Maybe you're right in the middle of a storm. And if God can't get your attention in that storm, he may just put you in the belly of a great fish where he will have your undivided attention, just like he did for Jonah. Now I got to tell you I have I have two great uh, phobias two great fears in my life and I I'm going to tell you this against my better judgment um, because I'm I'm afraid that some of you might mock me relentlessly for for telling you this but this is a safe place right we're friends I'm sure you guys would never do that to me so I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna tell you this in confidence but I have I have two great phobias in my life the first one is I have a fear of heights an irrational fear of heights and so. Uh, you get me up on you know, some scaffolding outside a building like four stories up and um, just go ahead and put a bullet in the back of my head. I don't want to live anymore. It's, I, my heart starts beating. I start sweating. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not fun. So that, that's one of my, my phobias is a fear of heights. My other phobia is an irrational fear of sharks. So large sea creatures that I can't outrun. Just terri- the thought of being in, in water and not being able to move quickly when something is chasing me that can move really quickly and is trying to eat me, that's what dream, uh, nightmares are made of, right, is, is something like, like that. So I go to the beach, and I don't get in uh, above knee level. I, I just don't, because I, I kind of figure then at least the really big ones can't get to me, you know, maybe just a small one or some, something. And, but it doesn't matter, even if I'm like ankle, ankle deep, if I feel something brush against my leg, this is what I picture. We have a picture of what I picture. That's what I picture, I, I'm just like, man, Jaws has fu- he's found me. He's been looking for me my whole life. He's found me. I'm about to die in the ocean in front of my, my kids. So listen, if I'm in Jonah's shoes, um, i probably die of a, a heart attack as soon as I see that bad boy come up with an open mouth. I'm just, I'm dead before he even gets there, right? I don't last three seconds, much less three days. But Jonah's apparently a tougher dude than I am. He goes three full days, three full nights. So church, let us, let us learn from Jonah's pain and let us not repeat his mistakes. And this is our first point in the text this morning. Running from God can get painful. Running, can, running from God can get painful. Now, I know a lot of you are out there and you're saying in your heart and in your mind, amen. Amen. I know what that's all about. It really can. It can get painful. Hebrews twelve six says that God disciplines those that he loves. God chastises his beloved sons and daughters. Now understand this, God's discipline in the lives of his sons and daughters, that is, that's his mercy toward us. Oftentimes we get that twisted and we think that the storm that comes into our life or the big scary fish that comes into our life, that that, that is a sign that God somehow hates us. We get it confused. We think, man, that, that's a sign that God has somehow abandoned me. We don't realize that it's, it's often in the storm or it's often in the belly of that fish that he is nearest to us and that's where he's pursuing us the hardest because he loves us. And so running from God can get painful at times as Jonah is finding out. Let's pick up Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Then Jonah, now in the belly of this great fish, prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. This is a Hebrew word And the the meaning there, the idea is there is like the grave. And so Jonah is telling us he's, he's like on the edge of death. He feels like he's in his own coffin, the belly of Sheol. He says, from that place of darkness, I cried and you heard my voice. So Jonah finally calls out to God. In the depth of despair, Jonah repents. Now, that word repent isn't a word that we use a lot today in our culture, right? I mean, think about it. When's the last time that you use the word repent in just a normal conversation with a friend or family member? We just don't use that word much in our culture. But it's a word and a concept that actually it just saturates the, the pages of Scripture. So it's really important for us to understand the concept of what repentance is. So here's a biblical definition of repentance, in case you don't know what it is. This is what it means to repent. To change one's mind... To be headed in one direction, so you're heading in one direction in your life, you change your mind and you end up turning around and you head in the opposite direction in your life. That's what it means to repent. So the idea is just imagine if you were, suppose it was late one night, you're getting off work late, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're just kind of in a haze and you get on the interstate and you're driving along the interstate and all of a sudden you notice that the headlights are coming for you. You realize that you're actually on the wrong side of the interstate. When you have that moment of realization, what do you do? Well, if you don't want to die or go to jail, what you're going to do is you're going to turn around as fast as possible and you're going to head in the opposite direction on the right way of that interstate, right? That's, that's the idea of repentance, and that is exactly what Jonah is doing in the belly of this great fish. Now, sadly, here's, here's the mistake that I see a, a lot of people make when a storm comes into their life, when the great fish of life kind of just swallows them up, the mistake that so many of us tend to make in that moment is that we, we curse God in those moments. We feel abandoned in those moments. Perhaps we even get angry at God. Not, not realizing that the belly of that fish, that really is the place where, where God is attempting to get our attention. And ultimately, he's attempting to rescue us because he cares for us and because he loves us. It's sort of like when you have a sick child. So you parents, you grandparents know what I'm talking about. When you have a sick child, imagine that your your child is dying from a disease of of some sort. And the doctor has the cure for that disease in a a form of a shot, some medicine, a a vaccine. But the child, not knowing any better, begins to, to fight Against that doctor and that vaccine. They fight and they kick and they scream in an attempt to avoid the one thing that can actually save their lives. I remember growing up, um, my parents were missionaries in South America when I was a little kid, and so we were in Chile for four and a half years. And I can remember I was elementary age, I don't know, seven, eight, maybe years old. And I can remember uh, getting sick. The the winters were very cold and wet where we were, and uh, I just wasn't getting better. I wasn't recovering, and the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. My parents couldn't figure out what was going on. So they finally took me into the the doctor, and they did a chest X-ray, and they discovered that both of my lungs were filled with fluid. I had a really awful case of pneumonia, and actually was probably just a few days away from, from death. And in those days, what they would do is they would actually send doctors after hours to your, to your house so you wouldn't have to get out and expose yourself to more stuff. So they would send a doctor over to my house once a day, maybe even twice a day in the beginning, to give me a shot of penicillin. Now, I, I hated that shot of penicillin. It hurt really, really bad. I didn't want to get that shot of penicillin. Now, my parents forced that doctor to come and give me that shot of penicillin, not because they hated me, not because they wanted me to suffer and to endure pain. My parents made that doctor come and pull my pants down and give me a shot right in the bum because they loved me. Right? They loved me and they wanted to see me get better and they wanted me to, to see me thrive and flourish in my life and for me to live. And Jonah is teaching us this this truth here. And this is our second point in the text this morning. God's discipline flows from his relentless love for his kids. God's discipline flows from a place of love for his children. And so, believer, don't despise God's discipline in your life. Embrace it. Embrace it. Turn from your sin. Turn from your idols and find life in him. Verse three, for you cast me into the deep. This is Jonah's prayer. It's talking about God. For God, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters, they they closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah is giving, giving us this really important truth here that I think that we need to dial into this morning. And that is this. Your sin, your sin will take you, will carry you to scary depths. Jonah was saying to us, he was saying to us from the belly of that fish so many years ago, look what my sin has done to me. Look what my sin has done to me. I'm in the belly of this fish. I can't see anything. I've got acid covering my my body. I've got seaweed wrapped around my face. I'm not sure if I'm going to live or I'm going to die. Jonah was painting this really vivid, frightening picture of where his sin had taken him in his life. And so I just wonder this morning, friend, do you really get the depth of your own sin this morning? Do you really understand the seriousness of your own sin? And I would confess that for me, many times I don't. Many times I, I can be the master of self-justification. And so a prayer that I pray sometimes is this God, God just help me to hate my sin. Help me to hate my, my own sin. God, I, wanna, I don't want to love what you hate. So God, help help me, to, help me to hate it. God, make me sick of my own sickness. And Jonah, he finally gets it. It finally begins to, to sink in in his life. And he begins to, to turn from his sin and his idolatry back to God. So yes, your sin will carry you to scary depths. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. This is our next point. God's grace is deeper than your sin. God's grace is deeper than your sin. As deep as your sin will carry you, as frightening as that place is, as dark as that place is, as deep as it is, God's grace is even deeper than that. Isn't that good news? That's incredible news. That's the gospel. That's God's grace to us. Let's pick up halfway through verse 6. Jonah has just painted this awful, terrifying picture of his own death for us, hasn't he? He says, man, I am, I'm in my own coffin in the bottom of the sea. I'm about to die. It's scary. It's dark. He's using words like sheol and death. And he paints this picture. And halfway through verse 6, you see the word yet. That's a word of hope in the scripture when you see that. He says, and yet, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Now that is the incredible news of the gospel. That no matter what we've done in our past, that no matter how far we've run, no matter how many times we've jumped on that ship to Tarshish, just like Jonah heading in the opposite direction, his grace still abounds. And he is near to us and he is waiting with open arms. And so when you feel hopeless in your life, when you feel like maybe you can't even take another step, God offers life-giving, life-saving hope. Some of you may be feeling like at this point in your life, you may be just feeling like really hopeless right now. And some of you, I know, I know, are in some pretty dark places in your lives. Some of you, I know, are in some pretty scary places in your life right now. Jonah was there in chapter two. That's where Jonah was. But I want you to know that as long as you have breath in your lungs, there is hope. There's hope. As long as your heart is still beating in your chest, there is hope. Hope in a God whose compassion is boundless. Don't give up, friend. Don't don't throw in the towel. If you are in a dark place, if you are in a scary place, I just want to encourage you to reach out. Come talk to me. Come talk to one of the other elders or pastors here. There are people here who love you and who will walk with you through that storm as we point you and remind you of God's grace in your life. And listen, here's the good news. We don't have to wait like Jonah did until we're on the brink of death and destruction to find God's grace. So often I feel like that's our temptation, isn't it? We, we just kind of wait until we're literally at rock bottom. Like there's, we can't go any further. And it's at that point that we turn to God and find his grace. It seems like for a lot of us, that's what it takes. But it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to wait until you're in the storm. You don't have to wait until you're in the belly of a great fish. His grace is waiting for you even now in this very moment. Verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Now there's some debate among scholars about who Jonah was talking about here, these idol worshipers. Some say maybe he's talking about the pagan sailors in chapter 1. I don't think that's the case because as we saw last week, it appears that they repented. They repented, they believed, they were worshiping God, they were making vows to follow Jonah's God. I don't think it's talking about them at all. Some would say perhaps Jonah is referring to the, the idol worshippers as the nation of Israel here. And perhaps that's the case. I think there's probably some truth there. But I think at least in part, Jonah was talking about himself here. I mean, the whole context of chapter 2 is this prayer where Jonah is talking about himself and his relationship with God. Now understand, this would have been huge. To have a prophet of God in Israel confessing, I am an idolater. I'm a dirty sinner, right? Because that was the accusation that prophets would typically level against pagan nations. And now Jonah is saying that of himself. He's saying, that's me. In my heart, I have hid an idol of self-righteousness. In my heart, I've had this, this idol of hatred against the people that God has created and that he loves and longs to save. From that truth, I want to press into another truth, and that is this repentance leads to life. Repentance leads to life. We have to identify and then confess our idols just like Jonah. You want want healing in your life? Stop hiding your idols. You want healing in your life, stop lying to yourself. Stop pretending like you have it all together. Identify your idols, confess them, and then walk away. Crush them, burn them if you must, but get away from them in your life because life cannot be found in idols. Can't be. I know because I've tried almost all of them, and you probably have to. They seem promising in the moment but they will always leave you empty and unsatisfied. Now, do you know what an idol is? Because some of you might be thinking right now, like, oh, okay, Chris, that sounds really cool. But, uh, you know, like I don't have a golden statue in my house that I like bow down to and, and pray to. So like, I don't know what you're talking about, this idol stuff. So here, here's a biblical definition of what an idol is. I want to put it on the screens because I want you to digest this. This is what an idol is. An idol is anything in your life that you love, trust, or find more comfort in than God. Now, let that sink in just for a minute. And now I want you to think about your life. I want you to do a self inventory right now of your life. What are you currently loving, trusting, or finding more comfort in right now than God? It could even be something good, you know? It doesn't even have to be something evil. See, oftentimes we picture idols as as things that we know are evil or wrong. So we think about like having an affair on our spouse, or we think about a porn addiction or whatever, and those things certainly could be idols. But they can also be good things. So, my question for you this morning is what do you run to in your life in the storm? What do you run to? Do you run to God? Or do you run to food? Do you run to wine? Do you run to relationships? Do you run to getting lost in TV shows or binge watching a Netflix show or whatever it is? You know, idols can be good things that we turn into God things. And when that happens, if you're a son or daughter of God, he loves you enough to begin to slowly rip those idols out of your life so that you can understand where real happiness and peace is really found, and that is only in Him. Only in Him. It's fascinating. Jonah says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And that word, that Hebrew word that we translate steadfast love, that word is hesed. Right, so, so that is what we forsake when we love an idol more than God. And that word hesed speaks of God's unconditional covenantal love with his people. So it's like, look, I made a covenant on December 6, 2003, almost 15 years ago with my wife, Cheryl, and with God. And I vowed to her and I vowed to God on that day that my love would belong to her and her alone as long as we are both alive and breathing. Now, don't miss this. Jonah is saying that when you choose an idol to find your comfort, security in, that you are like an adulterer, but not as an adulterer who commits adultery on their spouse. You are like an adulterer who commits adultery on the God of this universe. Friend, do you feel the weightiness of what Jonah is saying to us right here? You should feel the the weight of this. Everything that you're looking for is right here in God. Love, mercy, compassion, it's, it's all right there. But this is what happens when we chase idols in our lives. We prostitute ourselves out to cheap lovers and false gods. And when we do that, we forsake God's hesed, his unconditional covenantal love for his people. We spit in his face and we walk away from his mercy. Why would we ever do that? And yet, I know that that's my tendency even in my own life. Verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, here is arguably the central verse in the entire book of Jonah. Now, firstly, notice that Jonah is now giving thanks to God. He has not yet been delivered from the belly of the great fish. He is still there, but he is giving thanks to God. His heart is overflowing with thankfulness because he knows that regardless of whether he lives or dies in the belly of that fish with seaweed wrapped around his face, his ultimate deliverance and salvation is already secure in God. And so he is turning from his idols to God and now his heart is filled with joy and thanksgiving regardless of his circumstances, which, by the way, are pretty crummy right now. Wouldn't you agree? Pretty crummy. Probably a whole lot worse than yours. And his heart is overflowing with joy and thanksgiving for what God is doing and has done on his behalf. See, it doesn't matter to Jonah now what his circumstances are because he's realizing that God is enough. And so, friend, let me ask you this morning, is God enough for you? Is God enough for you? Or is it God plus in your life right now? God plus a little more money in your bank account. God plus a nice house. God plus a sweet vacation. God plus good health. God plus a boyfriend or girlfriend. God plus, 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 plus. And Jonah is saying to us, From the belly of that fish so many years ago, he's saying to us, listen, God is enough. He's enough in all of the circumstances and storms in your life. He is enough. And by the way, living a life of thankfulness, just so you know, that's a choice. We can choose thankfulness. Just like Jonah did in the worst of circumstances. And when we do that, it shifts our heart out of a place of depression and darkness and fear and despair. And it shifts our hearts into a place of joy and thanksgiving. Try it sometime. The next time you feel down about your life, instead of dwelling on your circumstances, focus on who God is. Focus on his love for you, what he's done for you through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. It's remarkable what choosing thankfulness can do in your life. Jonah follows up that statement by saying, salvation belongs to the Lord. In other words, what you're looking for, friend, what you're chasing after in your life, that thing, that feeling, whatever it is, can only be found in him. (laughs) He is the only way. There are not many paths to him. There is one. Salvation can only be found in the one true God in no other place. Verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I imagine that was a pleasant experience, don't you think? Been in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, and you just get to come out with all the fun stuff, laying there. Okay. Okay. I won't go into any more detail. So God speaks, and the fish literally pukes Jonah out onto dry land. Now, Nineveh was not a coastal city, so Jonah likely still has over 300 miles to go before he gets to Nineveh. So, unless this was like a projectile thing, you know, probably not. Probably still 300 miles away from Nineveh. So this journey for Jonah is is far, far from over, as we'll see next week in Jonah chapter 3. But here's what I don't want you to miss here. God speaks and the storm comes. God speaks and the storm dies. God speaks and the fish swallows Jonah. God speaks again and the fish vomits Jonah. Do you see a pattern here? I think Jonah wants us to see here that God is not just this this incredible God of mercy and compassion and goodness, and he is all those things, but he is also unimaginably powerful. And we sing that, we sing those words here sometimes, right? The wind and the waves, they still know his name. Believer, God is in complete control. He's in complete control, and for the believer That is like a warm blanket on a cold winter's night. Friend, there is nothing, when I say nothing, I mean absolutely nothing that will come into your life that God has not allowed and that he does not intend to use for your ultimate good and for his own glory. Now that's good news, isn't it, friends? That's fantastic news. That's great news. That's the best news that you could possibly hear all day today. As we close this morning, the band comes. I want to invite you just to bow your heads with me for a moment as we prepare our hearts to pray. Here's what I know, even though I don't know a lot of you. Know some of you, I don't know all of you. Here's what I know there are two types of people in this room this morning. There are those who have not yet been transformed by God's grace. Those who have not yet been transformed by his glorious gospel, by this great news that God sent Jesus into our mess, into our brokenness to live a perfect life, to die for our sins, and he rose again on the 3rd day to give us life and freedom and hope, not just in this life, but in eternity. There's some of you who haven't been transformed by that news yet. And for you, there is no hope in the storm. There's no hope in the storm. There's no hope in the belly of the great fish. You can't turn to God for deliverance like Jonah because you don't know God yet. But for you, that can change today. It doesn't have to stay that way. Maybe today you're like I was. Maybe you're spiritual. Maybe you've been in church for a while. Maybe you know a lot of the right answers in your head, but your heart is dead right now. It's dead. It's stone cold. And you need God to infuse it with life and and His grace, and you need Him to give you a new birth. If you're here this morning and that's you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now in your heart. If you're just in your mind, you're thinking, man, I'm following all these idols in my life. I'm chasing all these things, and I know that they can't make me happy. I know that my happiness and my joy is only found in my Creator and the relationship with Him. And I want to experience His grace. And I want to experience His love. And I want to know Him, and I want Him to know me. If that's you... Even if you're religious, even if you grew up in church, but your heart is dead right now, I want you to say this prayer with me right now. God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm a rebel. I Just like Jonah, God, I'm making a mess of my life. I'm loving other things instead of you. But that stops today. No more. God, today I'm giving you my life. I repent. I turn from living life my way and I give my life to Jesus starting right now And so God please give me your spirit please give me your grace if you prayed that prayer with me in the silence of your heart and your mind let me just encourage you have the courage to come and talk to me after this service is over come and talk to one of the other leaders here we're not going to embarrass you. We want to celebrate with you. We want to walk this journey with you. Now, there's a second type of person in this room this morning, and that's those who have been transformed by God's grace, by his glorious gospel. But like Jonah, but like me so often, you find that your heart drifts. Your heart drifts. It drifts to things that don't matter. It drifts towards idols. And you know, deep down, it's time. It's time. It's time to stop playing games. It's time to do business with God. It's time to confess and to walk away from that idol or those idols in your heart and in your life. Whatever it is that you're loving and finding comfort in more than God, I just want to encourage you right now to lay it down. Lay it down. Walk away from it. Before the storm comes, Before God sends the great fish of life your way. Or maybe you're already there. But I want you to understand, it's not too late. Walk away. Find life in Christ. Do it now. So I just want to create some time and a space just for the next minute, minute and a half. I want you to pray in the silence of your own mind and your own heart. And I want you to do business with God.